0: Today on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 45, with a message titled, Big Waves and Hard Hearts. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship, It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Today is about big waves and hard hearts, and it's Mark 6. We're gonna be looking at verses uh, 45, and we'll see where we end up. (laughs) Says the preacher. Big waves and hard hearts. I want you to hold a place in Mark, and also turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's locate those two texts. 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse 1 with me. Paul's writing to a largely Gentile church. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, 1 Corinthians 10:1, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Paul's recounting the wilderness wanderings of the Exodus. All were baptized into Moses, 1 Corinthians 10:2, in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, that's the manna. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. And I want you just to park there for a second. When Paul is recounting the wilderness wanderings of Israel, he's is saying that the presence of Christ was there. The angel of the Lord was there. The glory cloud was there. God Almighty was there, and Jesus Christ is God. And so Paul is making the point that when the Israelites went through the wilderness, Jesus was there. However, it didn't go well. It says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well-pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Everybody, Mark verse six in your Bible. Now these things happened as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. Now, he'll go through a list of things that they did to blow it. They got into idolatry, verse seven. Immorality, verse eight. They tested the Lord, verse nine. They spent a lot of their time grumbling, verse 10. Verse 11 says, now these things happened to them as an example And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, in light of Israel's bad example here, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And it happened to Israel, God's people as well. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you personalize this may be able to endure it therefore my beloved flee from idolatry go back to mark chapter 6 when you read the old testament stories they have great validity for our lives those stories are intended to point you to the truth and help you to avoid potholes and mistakes but the old saying is true. Most of us decide in life somewhere along the line to learn the hard way. Why do we do that? I don't know. It just seems to be within our human nature. Someone can tell us the stove is hot, but we still have something in us that wants to touch it just to prove it. Right? And that's what parents do. They warn, they, they encourage, they exhort. And we get a lot of this from children as they're growing up, I know, I know, I know. And our response is, no, you don't know. (laughs) You think you know. Right? And when parents are exhorting, what we're trying to do is help our children to avoid mistakes. But obviously, the Bible is filled with honesty about the mistakes that were made. But hopefully, we can learn from our mistakes And we don't remain hard-hearted. And that was the problem with Israel. And you might be wondering about my title, and I'll explain it in a moment. The problem with Israel was hard-heartedness, which equals unbelief. You might want to write that down if you're a note-taker. Hard-heartedness is always a way to describe unbelief. When you have a soft heart, It means you're pliable. It means you're open. It means your heart here is the idea of your will, your intellect, your emotions, your decision-making processes. You say, God, I want to be soft to your ways. But when your heart is hard, you become like this impenetrable shield. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to discuss it. You don't want to hear the word of God. That's why a lot of people, when you talk to them, they say, I don't want to hear that. Why don't you want to hear it? because sometimes i think there's frankly fear in some people that something might penetrate them and sometimes that comes because life has thrown us some tough things even with fathers i know it can bring out a lot of difficulty and you know all the things that maybe we hope for didn't come to pass so one of the key verses here this is the title is found in verse 52 we'll jump ahead for a second <clears throat> mark 652 says For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. What's the incident of the loaves? The incident of the loaves is the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember the apostles? Lord, send them away. How can we feed this many people? What good good will this little brown bag lunch of the little lad do among so many people? And Jesus fed the 5,000 plus women and children, but it is clear That even after that miracle, his own 12 apostles did not get it. More specifically, I don't think they really understood yet who he was. He was the same one who was with Israel of old in the wilderness, and they did the same thing that the apostles are doing now. And as we've watched Jesus in the Gospels, we've seen him do thousands upon thousands of healing miracles. A couple of stories that take prominence in in this particular Gospel is the woman with the flow of blood for how many years? 12 years. She touches the hem of his garment and the bleeding stops. I told you on a sub-level, there's a message for Israel, if you will reach out in faith, I will stop the bleeding. Then he's on his way to a little girl, and she was how old? 12 years old. And he goes, and he says, she's just sleeping. Stop your boo-hooing, if I (laughs) I can put it that way. He clears out the room, and he says, little girl, little lamb, arise, and she rises up at 12 years old. And then he feeds the 5,000 plus women and children, and how many baskets do they pick up? 12. And this message keeps appearing over and over again, and here's what it is. Jesus is retracing the fallen footsteps of the nation, he's going to do for them what they failed to do. He is going to fulfill the law. He's going to trust his father. He's going to lay down his life. Where we failed, he succeeds. And his perfection is given to us when we place faith in Christ. But it's not just about the nation. It is also about the 12 that have decided to leave everything and follow him. They are representative of the nation, if you will, that fell in the wilderness, but those 12 are still 12 individuals, and God is doing a work in their life, and they still haven't gotten it yet, and they've already been through one storm. Do you remember, he was sleeping on the cushion, and the storm raged, and they went and woke him up, and they said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus said, hush to the ocean. Be still, quiet. (laughs) When I get woken up, that's usually my attitude as well. Quiet! (laughs) So the ocean calmed down. And Jesus turned to the 12 and said, where is your faith? Why is your faith so little? And then they said, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Listen to those words. Who is this? Have they gotten it yet? I don't think so. And when you don't get it, God has a way of sending additional storms into your life. Can I get a witness? Hmm. How many of you have grown the most in calm waters? Raise up your hand. Oh, a few of you. (laughs) A few of you don't want another storm. How many of you have grown the most in storms? Okay, how many of you do not want to raise your hand? You want to be neutral right now. Because you are afraid that God will hold you accountable for that hand going up. I feel you, I'm with you, you wimps. Anyway, just kidding. Look, I stopped praying for patience years ago. How many of you prayed for patience one time and then said, that's it, (laughs) no more? Do not pray that way. And if someone, if you're in a circle of people and someone else is praying for patience, release their hand. Because some of that may spill over to you. You don't want that. Their hearts get this. They saw all these miracles. Now I'm talking about the 12. But you can link this to the nation. You know, do you ever read the, the Old Testament and you see, okay, let's see, 10 plagues. The last one is the Passover, the blood of the Lamb. God leads them out. They got all the parting gifts from Egypt. It's pretty cool. The Egyptians are bearing their firstborn. They're going out. The glory cloud. He parts the sea. He closes the sea on the Egyptian army. He feeds them with the manna. He brings water from the rock. And what did they do? And you're like, what's wrong with these people? Until you take a look at yourself. Until you go, ouch, how many things has God shown me? How faithful has God been to me? And the 12, representing the nation, have the same problem. They've seen a ton of stuff. They've watched Jesus do miracle after miracle. In fact, at this point, he's even imbued his power into them so they can do it. And they've come back and reported to him early in Mark 6 that they did miracles, that they were able to cure the sick, that they were able to cast out demons. They were excited about it. And yet, they still don't seem to grasp who he is. And a lot of us are there. A lot of us have been walking with the Lord for decades, but sometimes we feel like, man, we're still back in elementary school. Sometimes we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, haven't I figured this out yet? I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. You'd think I'd have this one down. But this is our humanity. And this is partly the reason for storms. Deuteronomy 10.16 says, circumcise then your heart and stiffen your neck no more. But God said of Israel, they are stiff-necked people, a hard-hearted people. How much do I have to show them until they trust me? Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on Sola Scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology? Intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. Mark 6:45. we pick up the text Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, Mark 6, 45, and go ahead of him. He's just done the feeding miracle. To the other side, to Bethsaida. This is probably a different Bethsaida than the one mentioned at the feeding, while he himself was sending the multitude away. So the disciples are heading into another storm in the book of Mark. Early Christian artists use the image of the disciples in the boat facing the storm as symbols of the early church, in fact, there's a lot of paintings that reflect this, and it shows the disciples in a little boat, and there's a storm, and this was the the idea of the church. It became an image of the church on a voyage, and that's what you and I are on right now. We say say the Christian life is a walk, or sometimes we say it's a marathon, but it's also a voyage, because walking on land is pretty predictable for me. On the sea, different deal, because the sea is unpredictable, You kind of sometimes have to just go with the way that the things are blowing on the sea. On the land, I feel a little bit better, a little bit more sure of my footsteps. So the Christian life may be more apt to describe it as being in a boat on the sea. Sometimes the waters are calm. Sometimes the voyage is very bumpy and windy and unpredictable. And we're wondering, am I going to get to the intended destination And so he makes them get into the boat. This particular force of the language means they didn't want to get in. They wanted to stay. Uh, Maybe they wanted to kick back for a while. Maybe they they looked at the Lord and said, Lord, you said we were gonna come here to rest. We have not gotten to rest yet. We want to stay. The language is almost indicative of children who are having a good time somewhere and don't want to get in the car to leave. And you say, get in the car. And they're like, daddy, daddy that kind of thing. But he makes them get into the boat. He made them go on ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. How did he send them away? Full and not empty. Years ago, I was sitting in my office at a previous location and a young man came in. He was a salesman and he was selling something. And so I gave him a Pastor Michael line. I said, I'll listen to your pitch if you'll listen to mine. He went, okay. So I think he was selling copiers or something like that. So he went through his his spiel, and I told him, no, I'm not gonna buy that. (laughs) But then I shared the gospel with him, and I said, do you go to church? And he said, oh, I I recently attended this church, and he named a church that many of you would know the name of it. It's a big building with a lot of glass in Orange County. (laughs) So anyway... He goes, I hadn't been to church in years and uh, somebody invited me, so I went to the church and I said, well, what was your experience there? And he said, well, they interviewed some star and they sang some songs and listen to this. This was the words out of the mouth of this young man. I left there empty and not full. And I said, it's no wonder you did. They didn't preach anything. All they did was try, and you may think I'm trying to be hard, but I'm not. I'm just telling the truth. All they really did was make it about entertainment instead of what that young man needed. He needed God's word. And so he said, out of his own lips, I left there empty. I'm like, wow, that should never happen when someone walks into a church. So Jesus made them get into the boat. And after bidding them farewell, look at 46, he departed to the mountain to pray. Jesus went up the mountain to pray. They went onto the sea. Jesus said in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Listen to these words. And you, when once you have turned again, when you have turned back, NIV, this is Luke 22, 32, when you have returned to me, New King James, strengthen your brothers. The Lord prayed for Peter. The Lord is our great intercessor. He ever lives, Hebrews 7.25, to make what? Intercession for his people. What does that mean? Well, there's a little debate among theologians. Is his intercession simply his finished work at the cross and his resurrection? Maybe. But I also think his intercession includes advocating for us before the Father, giving us help. And this is true in Hebrews 4. It says we go to a throne of grace to find help when? When? In time of need, he's available to you and I when we have need. And I don't know about you, but I'm a very needy person. I keep discovering this more and more. This particular picture, he himself goes up to pray alone. Matthew 14, 23 says he went up to the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone alone is a beautiful picture of the church and your and my life. Jesus is up there in heaven praying for us, available to us, and we're on the sea below, but we're never out of his sight. But you say, well, then why do we go through stuff? Because molding and shaping happens where? In the storm. This is where we go back to your hand raise, right? The Lord knows that we grow in the storm. And so some trials become necessary. Peter, who will be a prominent person in the story, writes this in First Peter. Go to the back of your New Testament, First Peter 1. He's talking about the testing of your faith, and he says these words. This is First Peter 1, 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, First Peter 1, 3, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1.5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in these facts that you're saved and your salvation is secure, in this you greatly rejoice, verse six, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed By various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Would you all turn to Psalm 107? The Psalms are a beautiful place to go when you're going through hard times, and we just need some encouragement. Psalm 107. Many of the Psalms go through the history of Israel, and they depict the good, the bad, and the ugly. Psalm 107 is such a Psalm. Here's what it says. I'm just gonna hit a few highlights. Psalm 107, look at verse four. It says of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region, Psalm seven four. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Psalm 107, verse six. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. Skip down to verse uh, 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still. So the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. He let, and then it says, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let's go back to the gospel of Mark. How many times has he guided you? How many times have you wondered if he's there and all of a sudden something happens and you get to the desired haven? Not in your time. That's our problem, right? We want it now. We, we get a storm for 15 minutes and we say, all right, Lord, that's enough. None of us enjoy storms. None of us want to be in the storm. But Jesus made them get into the boat. He, get this, sent them into the storm. You're like, what? Come on now, that doesn't fit with my theology. Well, you better let it fit (laughs) because that's what he did. He sent them into the storm and you're going to see that they're rowing against the wind and had they turned the boat around and gone the opposite way, opposite his will, they would have had the wind at their backs. Sometimes when the winds are against us, we say, "Ah, this must not be God's will. (laughs) You know, water in your eyes, you know, maybe I'm doing something wrong here. You're, you know, you got the wind blowing hair like uh, back to the future, doc, and back to the future. <sighs> but you know what? Oftentimes when you're straining against the wind, you're right where God wants you. You say, why? I thought the Bible said God won't give you any more than you can handle. Where'd you read that? Well, in the verse you just quoted, Pastor Michael, no, that's not what it says. It says that God will provide a way of escape when you're tempted. It doesn't say he won't test you. The whole Bible's filled with tests. We did our first radio program on the Bible Answer Show. And I think one of the first questions we got was, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. Oh, I couldn't wait to answer the question. Because <laughs> I've written an article on it and I've shared this with you guys before. That article that's on the web right now gets 500 to 1,000 Hits a week. Will God give me any more than I can handle? Question mark. Well, ask the disciples about this storm when you get into heaven. Ask Moses if the Israelites were more than he could handle. Ask Gideon if three hundred men against thousands was more than he could handle. Ask the Apostle Paul if the beatings and the shipwrecks that he faced was more than he could handle. Do you understand? Folks, this is something that's become a sanctified saying in the Christian church and it's just absolutely false. God will often give you more than you can handle so you, can, you will give the handle of your life to him. That's the whole Bible tells this story. The whole Bible really says to us that when you come to the end of yourself, that's when God begins. When you stop trying to do it on your own you say, well, that, but that makes me feel weak. Well, whose power you want? Yours or God's? Look, you can still be a man, but you're gonna have additional power from your creator, and I think that's a pretty awesome thing, personally. And so when it was evening, Mark six forty-seven, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them, mark that in your Bibles, Mark six forty-eight. he saw them, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And this is <laughs> quite a statement. And he intended to pass by them. Well, folks, as we've studied a message called Big Waves and Hard Hearts, I think that this message is something that really hits home. And there's a verse here that I just want to highlight. It's Mark 6:52, And I think there's a couple things about this verse I'd want to say. Number one, it's kind of sad And number two, it's hopeful. The verse says they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. A hardened heart speaks of unbelief and they had just gone through the storm. You know, what was the storm about? What are our storms about? Maybe you're in a storm right now. Maybe you're wondering, man, why? (laughs) Why are the, the waves, why, why? Are the waves contrary? Why is the wind contrary? Why do I have spray going into my eyes? Man, it hurts. I'm I'm at the oars and I, I feel like I'm I'm paddling against the wind. I'm paddling against the waves. Where are you, Lord? And you know, I, I, I can't say everything, folks, about the origin of the storms, because I don't know enough to know the origin of every storm, but I know God can use the storm. And He can use the storm to shape. And he can use the storm to soften. And he can use the storm to teach us stuff about ourself. But more than that, stuff about him. That he is faithful. And sometimes he allows us to go through storms so we can get a better glimpse of where our faith is. And sometimes he allows us to go through storms that he might soften us in an area or make us more dependent on him in another area. And if you're going through a storm right now, my heart goes out to you but he is the master of the storm. Jesus can calm the storm. And, you know, the fact that Mark 6.52 says that they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Well, it tells us something about where the apostles were at, that though they had seen, at this point, many miracles, they still were not where they needed to be. And life is a journey. It's, It's almost, you know, you can picture it as, as a, a trip on a, on a boat. And sometimes we're going to have calm waters and everything's going to be cool and pristine and calm. And there's going to be other times when, when the, the wind's beaten against our boat and we're wondering where the Lord is and what's going on, but we can know that the Lord will get us to the other side. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, Or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.